you have full permission to look at me, to look at our CEO and tell us that is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. And the only thing I'm going to say back is, okay, why? Hello, and welcome to episode 45 of The Future of Work. It's the podcast that looks at every aspect of work in the future, and it's brought to you by Wanda. I'm Doug Folks, and as always, I'm sat here with Claire Haydar, the CEO of Wanda. Claire, how are you doing? Hey, Doug. It's autumn. It's, it's good to be here. I'm, I'm happy the seasons are changing, and it's good to be doing another episode with you. How are you today? I'm good. Uh, our seasons are changing into summer here in uh, South Africa. So, but I've um, been hearing a lot of rain in the background when I've, oh. I've been on calls with you this week. It's been raining a lot, which is good because we've just had a new lawn put in. So anyway, huh. that's enough of my life in the garden. Uh, <laughs> this week, we're catching up with Derek Franco. He's an engineer and an entrepreneur. He's got a, a 10 years of experience in startups and software engineering. Why is Derek on the podcast? So I think there's two obvious reasons. I'll start with the very obvious one. He's doing something really interesting in the future of work space, which is about to become a book. Um, and it's actually called the Future of Work Project. And what Derek has done is he's gone and found, like really sought out business leaders who are trying to change the game up in terms of how they hire, how they recruit, how they structure benefits, and most importantly, how they're building um, mostly virtual teams in this new reality that we find ourselves in. So we're going to be talking to him a little bit about that. But then also, I really wanted to bring an engineer onto the podcast because we know that product teams and engineering teams and the way they go about shipping code and building products and actually getting customers to use them is a lot more progressive than if you look at, for example, an HR department or a finance department and how they produce work. And I think as we look at the future of work, there's definitely a lot for companies to be learning from engineering and product teams in terms of how they work. There's a whole work style um, called agile that a lot of you know very progressive product companies use. And I want us to delve into that topic a little bit because I believe our audience can really benefit from that. Yes, we certainly had a, a very interesting chat with Derek. What are the key takeaways from our, our conversation? So, Doug, we've we've broken this podcast down into three very specific sections. Um, the first section is what products and engineering can be teaching the rest of the business um, world and the business team um, inside the company. The second one is tapping into that future of work project of his. So looking at some of those leaders that he's been interviewing, you know, what are some of the com common threads that are coming through there today? And what are they doing differently? You know, what, what can our audience be learning from them? And then the last one is very much the practical application. So, okay, I listened to the podcast. I like the idea of agile, but how do I actually go and implement that in a finance team or an HR team? And then, you know, just, Again, from a practical lens, just delving in with Derek in terms of what are some of the things that they've been experimenting with at Counterpart, what's worked, what's failed, etc. Awesome. Let's not beat about the bush. Let's chat to Derek. Derek, it's so good to have you yeah, with us today. And it's so good to be having this conversation with you. You're 
doing a project that both Doug and myself are actually really excited about and really interested in. And so can't wait to dive into that with you today. Yeah, excited to dive in and happy to be here. Thanks again for having me. Okay, so Derek, you know, just to to give our audience a little bit of background in terms of why we invited you onto the podcast today is you're a technologist and very importantly, you've built startups from the ground up. And that means that you come at transformation inside companies, which pretty much every single company is going through right now from a very specific angle. And that is technology and and how technology actually in many ways speeds up transformation and really drives it. I'd like to make a provocative statement, and that is that goals are dead. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I also think that technology figured this out a long time ago and, and moved on from waterfall into agile. Yep. Tell us a little bit from your perspective, you know, why this is so critical and why in this current environment that we find ourselves in, it's such a critical mind shift that companies need to be making. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's it's a great statement. You know, the goals are dead statement because it really does ring true. And from a technology side, you know, things have been adapting so quickly every single year in technology. I mean, it got to the point where even, you know, five, 10 years ago, things would completely shift their patterns in the way that people worked, where people were driving towards, how they worked every, it seemed like six months to a year. So people on the engineering and technology side got used to that idea of constantly having to shift their mindset and rethink on what are we building and why are we building it? And so, you know, that's why you see a lot of these these companies that are, you know, full tech companies able to deliver so quickly. That's their mindset all the time. It's, this is what we wanted to build towards. Something has shifted and we've got to pivot right away. And, you know, when we kind of hit this age of Corona and everybody kind of being forced into shifting and changing, everybody got a little bit of taste of that in a different way. You know, the, the world changed so much every month during 2020 and 2021, you know, especially even now as some companies have tried to figure out, do we go back to the office? Do we stay remote? Do we kind of make this hybrid approach? You know, people are are changing their minds all the time and big companies are making different decisions all the time. And so we're seeing everybody kind of being thrust into that mindset of continually having to adapt um, in order to just basically survive. And, you know, it's something that is uncomfortable at first, for sure. But especially as you dive into it and you get more comfortable in that uncomfortable environment, you see that it actually allows you to have your organization thrive and grow much quicker, especially in all of the uncertainty. And if there's one thing that this is showing right now, the uncertainty in the world, in the way that people are working, in what people want even, it's going to continue to change. And if companies kind of set one particular goal of, oh, we are getting back to the office. If that is the end goal, or if there's another piece, they just got to know that that's likely going to change. You know, no one can predict what's going to happen in the next six months, let alone a year time frame when some of these companies are coming back. So uh, yeah, it's been very interesting to see everybody kind of have to shift to that mindset that, uh, you know, most of the time engineering organizations are in uh, 24-7. And so I think one big thing with this kind of mindset to take to take one step back. You know, you mentioned this idea of like, you know, the waterfall versus kind of an agile mindset. One thing that this applies really well, and for anybody that doesn't, you know, really understand those in an old waterfall mindset, that would usually mean that you were setting kind of, these are the end deliverable goals that we are focusing on. 
and everything is, okay, let's split out the exact tasks that need to be done in order to get there. How do we do it? And okay, we've thought through everything. Let's go and execute. The world changes too much. Things change too much now in order for that to happen. And, you know, so this agile mindset is more along the lines of this is what we want to build towards. But if things are changing along the way, we can adapt our patterns. We can adapt what we're working on and change course um, in the meantime. And so that's really kind of where a lot of today's work is as well in this more agile and adaptive mindset. Derek, nice to meet you. <laughs> you nice to meet you too. You said something there earlier and um, I, I want to sort of take it back a step. You talked about waterfall and agile. Why then is the agile mindset more critical to the future of work for, for the company and the employees? Waterfall is very, I guess you could say it's, it's basically linear. Um, you know, you are thinking of kind of the end goal state that you want to get to, and you're breaking it up into individual chunks and thinking through all of the different things that need to happen in order to get to that goal. And so, you know, Doug, kind of taking a step back to what you were saying is, why would somebody want to focus on a waterfall method? Well, if you're trying, if there is a complicated goal that you are trying to get to, and you have a lot of people working on that one goal, then it makes perfect sense that you want to think through every little piece that needs to be done and how they'll communicate and who will be working on it, when they'll be working on it, et cetera. And so you really end up with this kind of, if you think of almost like a, a Gantt chart of, you know, different lines of we're doing this and then we're doing this and then we're doing this. And that's great. It's an amazing way to really plan out a project and make sure that everybody's aligned on what needs to happen. The downside to waterfall is when things inevitably go wrong, you know, it's going to happen at some point. And, you know, if you're along the lines and the website was dependent on the marketing team finishing with the design team and they're behind, well, what are they going to do in that meantime? Like, you don't really know what to do. They can't start development. If they've started development and now they're behind and the launch schedule gets pushed back, there's nothing they can really do. Or kind of in our situation, if you're in the middle of meeting with the designers and a global pandemic hits and you can no longer meet in person, how do you adjust those timelines and the pieces that need to happen? And you know, even taking a step back towards the goal mindset, if the goal has shifted, if the goal was we are going to launch a new website and a new rebrand, and halfway through, you learn that one of your competitors has now created a brand new version of your core product and they're doing it better. Well, realistically, who gives a crap about what your website looks like? Like you need to get all hands on deck to go and kind of fight back. And the waterfall mindset really kind of, you, you've gotten all your resources stuck in this project versus more of an ag agile mindset, which is, you know, what a lot of um, developers kind of go with. There's different types, but um, just sticking in kind of a more general sense in agile flow, it is more that you are setting things up in a similar way where it's, this is what we want to do and this is what it'll take to do it, but it's more abstract and it's more flexible where if you look at things in chunks of time versus a very long period of time, you're able to adapt. So in most organizations, engineering organizations, we work in a timeline called a sprint. And that's usually about two weeks long. And usually what we'll do is we'll have a timeline of something that we want to get to, but we're really just planning the next two to four weeks. What are we doing the next two weeks that gets us towards that? What are we doing the next four weeks? So in the same situation where in those two week cycles, we're working on design, and then we find out that our competitor launched a product that competes with us and is doing it better. Well, you can bet that the next two weeks on 
are now no longer about anything with the design and we're getting a new plan in place to go after and basically fight back with a new product. And so that's kind of the differences between agile and waterfall and how they work. And, you know, like I said, it's not that you're not planning for the future in agile. It's more that instead of planning every single chunk and adapting it out for, you know, three to six months, you're having that more as an abstract concept and breaking it down into two to four week chunks. Yeah. And I think, Derek, the one piece that I want to go into next is you've really drilled down into some specifics. But one piece that I want to highlight, and I kind of want us to tease this out a little bit, is there's a huge component about agile that's about value creation. So you've used the example of the competition, you know, which is a reactive defensive move to go and, you know, level up with competition. But I think the overarching thing that that should be driving the whole agile process is what is the next piece of incremental value that I can offer to the business? And why this is so important, not just from a technology perspective, is if you think about somebody sitting in finance or HR, you know, it's very easy to lay out a financial team's working world and say, okay, every week we have to do this with the invoices. Every month we need to do monthly and close out. Every year we need to do taxation. But the reality is, is that that's not necessarily adding value to the business. Whereas if I have an agile team, which in our company we do have, which I'm so grateful for, we actually had a situation just this week where I was able to go to the team and I was able to say, new unexpected customers have potential customers have come to us. We can fill our pipeline with these deals, but I'm going to have to do some modeling here that that wasn't planned. You know, can you guys potentially please work on a few models for me? And so Tracy and myself literally just sat, we looked at the sprint that had been planned and we said, okay, we're going to pull out these activities and we're going to plug this modeling into that. You know what I mean? And so all of a sudden, instead of the finance department just being this back office function that makes sure that it's ticking boxes for the business, it all of a sudden becomes an extremely valuable team contributor. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, not only that, but I think that one thing that when, especially organizations that are more focused on this very long-term goal oriented mindset, when they first hear of agile, one thing that is almost scary to them is well, I, I need to know what's going to happen in the future. Like, how, how am I going to tell the investors that, oh, don't worry about it. We're going to figure it out in a phase by phase basis. And the one thing I'll say is we still do chunk out and plan like, hey, you know, for the quarter, these are the three main goals that we have. What are the three main goals that we have? Okay, well, we want to, we want to increase our business in this new market that we just built up. We want to focus on building out this new technology suite and we want to build a new website and rebrand. Okay, amazing. So you've done those. What are the projects that need to be done to do it? So we'll list those projects out and then we'll say, okay, roughly how long will they take to do? What do we need to do? But it's a very high level version of like chunking those phases out. And so, yeah, we can put down a Gantt chart of roughly when we think it'll happen. But the nice thing is now if a new, just like you said, if a new thing comes in that we have to do all hands on deck, well, we can just adjust those Gantt charts around. It's not messing anything up. We just know that certain projects won't be done. And not only that, but it allows us to really keep track of what is the most important thing at the company. And, you know, I think that that's one thing that a lot of people can't answer, especially, you know, even in your yeah. department, if you said like, what's the most important thing to your department right now, you don't really know because usually you're working between four or five different projects that are all on this strict timeline and that's that's a hard thing to rally people around when things go wrong. You know, no one's ever going to be there and be like, oh, man, like 
Doug didn't turn in the Excel spreadsheet last night. So, you know, now this and this and this and this, like, no, you're going to be like, all right, well, he didn't turn the spreadsheet. Why? Oh, he found an error. What was the error? And you can get people to kind of rally around that too. Um, So that's kind of the nice thing with the mindset is you don't have to just think this, this short, it's, you can think about where you want to be, but you're not defining a strict path to get there. So my take on that would be, it sounds as if it's something that would be easier for a small company or a startup company to do because you've got less parts in it. Can big, massive companies and big corporates use the same uh, method effectively? Yeah. Um, I think the way that you can look at this is, you know, large tech organizations do this all the time. You know, the biggest difference is they do spend a little more time on the abstract component to really start putting it into a roadmap. So they will define a roadmap and say, oh, it's, we're going to build this during, you know, month one and two of the quarter. And, you know, we're going to be testing in month three. The only difference is as they're going through and breaking it up, if something new comes up, they're fine with saying, okay, stop that project. Here's the new one and, and continue on there. And it's, it's something that is very scary to think about. You know, I mean, if you're a month into a project, that's an expensive project. But like I said earlier, the tech industry is used to moving so fast, to having to adapt so fast to just keep up that sometimes it's, it's proven over the years to be the best way to adapt and continue fighting with the competition. It's not just stick to we're in a month in right now. We have two more months to build this project and let's just keep going. Like, you know, maybe you've learned that that's not going to be the big hit. Like your competitors put out a product and it just completely, I mean, for lack of a better term, it just completely bombed. You're not going to want to put in two more months of that. Some organizations would because, you know, they've got that sunk cost into it. And that's the biggest piece that companies need to get past is it can work at big organizations. You just have to remove yourself from the mindset of focusing only on like this sunk cost fallacy. And Doug, I, I, I think it goes back to what we actually started the conversation with is you have to let go of the idea of establishing this goal that you just married to. You know what I mean? Which is why we opened with goals are dead, which really freaks big companies out because big companies right now, you talk to anybody who's sitting at a big company right now, they're doing financial 2022 planning. And, you know, it's like months and months and months of planning. And then we're going to roll it out. And then by the time January comes around, everything that they've been speaking about today, three months prior to the year actually starting is mostly going to be irrelevant. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I I think one thing that we can say with that too, is it's more about just what are the three most important things? Like that, that's the question that every company can just kind of put down. Like if you had to list, what are the three most important things for the, the next year, for the next quarter? If you can't answer those without listing out 48 different goals and projects that you want to do, like you don't have any kind of foresight into what you want to build or what you want the company to do. And so that's really the better way that we look at it is just what are the three most important things? Figure that out and you're able to work back iteratively very easily. So that brings us to the end of part one of this podcast. Be sure to check out the other two main points we discuss with Derek in our next episodes. You can catch them on Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts or on Wonder's website, wndyr.com. From Claire and myself, we'll see you soon.